I'm going to invite Matt and Daisy Arnold on stage with me uh, with their firstborn daughter, Olivia, a.k.a. Livy. Uh, and kids, I want you to pay attention to this because this is, you know, I'm going to tell you right now when this, with this baptism, what the sermon is going to be about, what this passage is going to be about. And so this is Olivia. She was born on October 19th, and she's coming for her baptism today. Uh, and kids, do you remember what baptism is about? Like, I'm going to pour this water on Olivia's head, and it's going to be this sign of, of judgment. It's this, like, really serious thing of, like, you got to think of, like, a flood pouring over Livy, and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's horrible. Uh, it, but what it means is that Livy needs Jesus to take her judgment for her. That's what baptism is about, to take that judgment for her. Uh, and, and so this is a really big deal. Uh, yesterday was also a big deal in Livy's life. This is a first for her. Uh, yesterday was a first for her because yesterday she had her first popsicle. Uh, and uh, her cousin was giving her her first popsicle, and she loved it. She loved it so much she was grabbing it with her hand. She was just taking it down. And when, when, her, and when Ella would, would take it away from her and give her a little break, she, and she just wanted it back, and she just went all over it. She went right after it. So she had her first popsicle. You know what else she had for the first time? Brain freeze. She had her first brain freeze, and you could see it in her face, where she went from a smile to just a total wreck, and you could just see it coming. You could see the pain start in her throat, and then it moved to her head, and then it just moved through her whole body, and she just erupted in, in tears and, and crying, but that only lasted a little while, because then what happened? What do you think happened after that? She wanted more. She wanted to give me more of that popsicle. Like, where is it? Give it, give it back, give it back. Why would she do that? She found Jesus. Yes, she found Jesus. She, we're coming to that. She went back for the popsicle because the cost, the pain, the suffering, it's worth it. Because what do you get? The popsicle. It was so worth it to her. Okay, so... What we're saying is that Livy needs Jesus to take her judgment. Why would Jesus do that for her? Like, why would Jesus go through the pain, the suffering of the curse of, of God's wrath? Why would Jesus do that for Livy? Because he gets Livy. Because he does that, he saves her, and he gets her. She is worth it to him. And it's the same for all of y'all kids. That's why Jesus went to the cross and suffered for your sin, and took all that wrath for you. He did it because you are worth it to him. Yeah, that popsicle points us to Jesus. She found Jesus. Uh, that's our hope. That's our prayer in this baptism, because as we baptize her, we're saying she belongs to Jesus, and she's now in the church family, and it's our responsibility to point her to Jesus and to the church. All right, so uh, we are in the book of Zechariah for the last Sunday. Uh, this is the end of our series this spring on the book of Zechariah. If you're just joining us for the first time, it's perfect timing. Uh, we're going to catch you up right here. Uh, we, uh, the little context here for the, uh, the book of Zechariah is that Israel had been conquered and taken into captivity by the big, powerful empire of the world at that time, Babylon. They're taken into captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And then the new big bad empire comes along, Persia. And they defeat Babylon, and they free God's people. They look at the Jews and they say, hey, if y'all want to go back to Jerusalem, go for it. And you want to rebuild your city? 
go. Your walls, great. Your temple, sure, go, go do it. You have our blessing. Uh, and, just, you know, stay in line and you're good to go. And so you get a group of Jews that go back uh, and they start rebuilding. But they're the poorest of the poor. They have no resources. Uh, they're, they're, they're already people who are living in that land who have been settled there who don't want the Jews there. So there is suffering and there is persecution and there is danger everywhere they turn. Uh, and, uh, and they're wondering, they're, they're calling out to God, where are you? Like, you brought us back here, and for what? For this? For all this suffering? For death? Where are you? And so God sends his prophet Zechariah to these people to assure them. He, he, he sends them there to assure them that he is with them. And the way he does this is he gives Zechariah these seven crazy visions that all picture how God is with his people. Listen, the way that, uh, I don't actually have a book up here, but the way, the way Zechariah, the book, we're actually only halfway through it, but the way it is structured, the first half parallels the second half. Uh, and so it's just this reinforcement, and they flesh each other out, this awesome message that, message that God is in our midst. And in the very, very middle of the book is like this spine. And, and so that's what we're looking at today. That's where we're ending with. Can I bring, it ties it all together. This passage in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 9 to 16. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place and shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord <clears throat> as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are, far off, who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. The word of the Lord. Uh, please be seated. All right, this, all we've been looking at so far are visions. Seven visions. This is not a vision. This is describing a, an historical event. So all these names, these, these are real people. God tells Zechariah, hey, look, a, a group of new exiles is coming, is coming back to Jerusalem from Babylon. Uh, go find these guys. Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah. Take them, take them to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. And Joshua the high priest is going to be there. Okay, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to take silver and gold from these exiles who have just arrived, these new exiles. You're going to take gold and silver from them, and you're going to make a crown. You're going to make a crown fit for a king. And then you're going to put that crown on the head of the high priest, Joshua. Again, not a vision. This really happened in history, which if you're Zechariah, this is just as weird as the visions. Like, why are we, wait, 
I don't, why are we going to crown a priest? You do this for kings. And, and we know from earlier in Zechariah that there is a descendant of King David there back in Jerusalem with them. He's the governor. He's the rightful heir to the crown and the throne. And so why are we crowning the high priest? He's not a descendant of David. And it's because this is not about politics in ancient Israel. Now, this may not be a vision, but this is still a prophecy. This is a symbolic ceremony. Uh, these guys are acting out something that is going to happen in the future. So, spoiler, who could this prophecy be about? Like someone who is a priest who is also a king, a priest king, someone who is a descendant of King David, the branch. That's a title for uh, the descendant of David, the branch, the branch of David's line. Someone who is going to build his temple and who's going to rule in it and sit on the throne. Who is it? It's, it's Carl. It's Jesus. Like, who, who else would it be? Like, it's Jesus. This is so, uh, this, who else could it be? You know, and you, you know this historical episode in Zechariah 6. You know it's a prophetical ceremony that these guys are dramatically acting out uh, that's pointing to something greater. You know this is a ceremony, a symbolic ceremony, because Joshua does not get to keep the crown. It's put in the temple as a memorial, it says, as a reminder that God himself is somehow, is somehow the priest king of his people, is somehow the branch, is, is somehow the priest king in the line of David, and he is coming. Knowing this is supposed to make a difference in these guys' lives, in the lives of the people there in Jerusalem. Now, summer's here, uh, and brings up summer memories. When I was a kid, uh, we always stayed for a few days in Hunt, Texas, picking up my sister <clears throat> from uh, summer camp. And running through the town of Hunt, Texas is the Guadalupe River. <clears throat> Everyone loves it. Everyone swims in it, floats down it. Uh, right outside the town is a dam uh, in the Guadalupe. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm just a kid. I've never actually done it, but I'm there, and I know it's not safe to slide down that dam. I know it. Uh, everyone else, though, is ignorant of this knowledge because everyone else is sliding down this dam. My brother is ignorant uh, because he is sliding down this dam and down and up and down and up and down and up. And as I'm sitting there watching over him, wondering, like, what's wrong with my parents? All of a sudden, I'm scooped up uh, and I'm set down on the edge of this dam in my mom's lap, and she wraps her arms around me like this cocoon-like thing, and she says, I got you, you're gonna love it. And she hurls us down this thing. And I scream in horror because my mom just killed us both. <laughs> and, and we hit the water, and I, I didn't die. And I came up out of the depths laughing because it's awesome. But who knew? You know, no one, knew, like, who knew? Uh, I did at that point. I knew. And I raced back up and then down and up and down and up and down. And I went from being terrified to being this pro, talking to the locals at the top, like, you know, I love this place. We come here every summer, love this spot. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing what a little knowledge, what a little experience will do for your faith and your confidence. 
This prophetic ceremony is supposed to give Zechariah and God's people this little knowledge that gives great faith and great confidence. They don't know this, but they are going to have to wait another 500 years for this priest king to show up. And they are in the thick of it. They are in the thick of suffering and persecution, wondering, is God on his throne? Okay, if he is, like, does he care? And all the visions, we've seen that all the visions of Zechariah have been making this point that there is more to reality than meets the eye. Like, literally, there is more to reality than what you can see. The truth is God sits on his throne, and he is not scared He's not pacing. He's not wringing his hands. He's not deflecting over the pain and suffering that his people are going through. He sits on that throne, and he is good, and he is all-powerful, and he is in the midst of his people. And with this knowledge, they can have confidence and wait in faith. You know, Jesus, the priest king, he came, and now he's gone again, and he says he's coming back, and we've been waiting 2,000 years for that to happen. And where has he been through all the horrors of that history? Where has he been the past two years? Where is he right now? The promise is he's on his throne. And he is in our midst. And he is coming back. And it's, it's not just where the crown in this, in this historical episode, it's not just where the crown ends up, like in the temple. It's the genesis of this crown it's the, and the gathering of this seemingly rando group of guys. This is also part of the prophecy, like all of this. So verse 10 says, everyone is going up to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then verse 14, at the end of the passage, it says, Hen, the son of Zephaniah. So Josiah, the son of Je- Zephaniah, Hen, son of Zephaniah, same guy. Josiah is his actual personal name. Hen is his title. It's a, it's a title. It's a title for one of the temple officials who stewards the temple offerings. So there, there's a treasury, right? There's a treasury in the temple, and this official would be in charge of how certain funds get allocated and spent. Like, that's his job. So Zechariah takes these guys to this guy's house, to the temple treasury official's house, and he requisitions a tribute of silver and gold from the exiles. And he makes a crown. And he ceremoniously crowns Joshua the high priest as king. So all of this from beginning to end, all of it's part of the prophecy. Because this pictures, this thing that God's people, they will bring their king tribute. Like, think of this, the, this other historical episode. Think of like the Magi. The wise men that come from Babylon to Bethlehem and they bring baby Jesus tribute of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The exiles, they picture God's people making tribute, bringing glory to Jesus and crowning him. And thank goodness, like you get to verse 15, thank goodness for us uh, that prophesies that Gentiles... You know, you, you people who are not <clears throat> of Jewish ethnicity, it says in verse 15, those who are far off, they will also be part of building the temple and paying tribute because this king will be the king of the Jews and Gentiles. And right after that amazing declaration about the inclusion of the Gentiles is this very bold declaration that, that in all of this, 
It says, you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's the priest king claiming that he is entitled to this crown. He is entitled to this kingdom. He is entitled to this tribute. And do you know, do you know what tribute you are supposed to bring your king? Do you know what tribute our priest king claims of you? You. You are the tribute. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he is requisitioning his tribute to himself, and it's you. As in, like, you are gold. You're the precious jewels. It's all of you for all of him. You remember that great commission? Uh, Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he's raised. He meets with his apostles, and before he sends into he- heaven, he gives them the great commission, which you could also call the great requisition. Jesus calls for a tribute of people to be brought to him through the means of grace. Like he commands his church to requisition people to him. That's how the people of God build his church, his temple, through the gospel proclamation that Jesus has given everything for you, and so you are his treasured possession. Which all sounds like, that just sounds like amazing news. Until you get to that very last verse in the passage. It says, and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. It's such a Debbie Downer. Like, what? Debbie Downer, unless you remember what Israel was, that God made a covenant of works with the nation Israel. This may be the first time you're hearing this, but you need to hear this. That stuff with Moses, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, that's the Sinai covenant. The Sinai covenant, it is not the same thing as the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is about how an individual gets to heaven by grace. Okay, that's not what the Sinai covenant is. And it didn't replace the covenant of grace. No, it's, it comes along and God lays it on top of the covenant of grace for a period of history, for the, for the history of Israel. The Sinai covenant that God makes with the people through Moses, it's about making Israel a theocratic kingdom on earth. It is, it's about a typological, which is just, it's this word that means, it's about a symbolic kingdom in the land of Canaan. And the way that the nation of Israel gets to retain that land of Canaan is to stick with the Lord. That's their works. Stick with God. And if they disobey and they worship idols and they ditch the Lord, they are going to be kicked out of the land. They don't get blessing, they get cursed. This prophecy that's given, this ceremony, it fits that context, which is why you get that verse at the end. If you will diligently obey the Lord of the, uh, the voice of the Lord your God, you're going to get all this stuff. So Joshua, the priest king now, he will be granted a reward if he diligently obeys God. And he represents Israel very fittingly because the whole nation of Israel is supposed to act like priests like in the Holy Land, because the whole land is holy. It's not just the temple. And so they would defile the whole land if they worshiped other idols, if they worshiped false gods. So Joshua, as high priest, represents what all the people are supposed to do, obey God. And the problem is Israel could not keep this arrangement. They could not keep this covenant. 
They had already, I mean, they had already been kicked out of the land for 70 years because they had uh, forsaken God, given into idolatry. And it's, you know, that forsaking is a picture of final judgment. So they've been brought back. Now they've been brought back totally by grace. They've been brought back, but they're put under this Mosaic law covenant again. Again, as a picture. And again, as a picture, they're not going to be successful this time either. And God knows that. That's the lesson. That's the point of all of it. Someone else must keep this covenant for Joshua, for the people. Like another high priest actually needs to do this because neither Joshua or Israel is going to be able to obey God and receive the blessing. What's behind that, and really the Mosaic law, it's a picture It's just about retaining the land, not getting to heaven. But what is behind the Mosaic law is another covenant that this thing is pointing to. It's another covenant of works, and this one's for real. It is God the Father's covenant of works with God the Son. In eternity, God the Father makes a covenant with God the Son. They make a pact. They make a deal God the Father proposes that God the Son go down to earth, be born as a man, live a life of perfect obedience, and then once the Son has fulfilled the law, then he has to die. The Son has to suffer the curse of sin. He has to be judged, he has to be condemned, and he has to suffer eternal wrath, not because of anything he's done, He will suffer in the place of sinners, but not for nothing. The Father will reward the Son for his earthly mission. The Son's reward will be a glorious kingdom. Nothing less than the kingdom of heaven and earth. And for his faithful obedience, for his work, he's going to get to rule over that kingdom as king forever and ever and ever. Which getting that, that helps us. You get to the ceremony, you get to that part in verse 14 when it says there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. You're you're reading that, you're like, lots of people wonder, wait, who's that referring to, this council of peace between them both? Them both who? Both who? Who both? Like, like, is it saying that between, like, there's going to be peace between the the two offices of Jesus, his, his kingly office and his priestly office? That's true. There's, there's unity there. No, that's not what this is about. The point is that there will be peace between God the Father and God the Son because the covenant has been fulfilled between the two of them. The Father has given the Son the crown and the right to rule because the Son has done his work. And now there's going to be a council of peace between the one who gives the crown and the one who is given the crown. Which is why you get to the end of the Bible and you get to Revelation And there are these visions of uh, heaven and the throne of God. God the Father and God the Son. It doesn't say thrones. It says throne, singular, because there's one throne. It's a picture of there is a union in the rule of the Father and the Son over this kingdom. It's a picture of the Father who is ruling on his throne and the Son, crowned crowned in glory, is ruling at his right side. Israel is, is, it hears this, sees this, uh, this ceremony taking place. They're told about it because what they know is that king after king, is, is, king after king in Israel is a failure. They don't follow God's law. 
even the couple good ones, they're not truly righteous. They don't deliver the oppressed. And the question is like, what if, what if, and it's for us too, like, what if there was a king who always kept the law? Like, who loved God completely, who loved his people completely, and he always rendered justice for all, and his justice was perfect. Because you look around today, and you're looking for justice, and questions that we are begging, that we are asking, is like, what's going to happen to Ukraine? Like, what is gonna, what's going to be done about Putin? What is going to be done about North Korea, Haiti, Yemen, sub-Saharan Africa, like, what is going to happen to America? Like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't get political here. I'm going to get political here, but just like in a big sense political. Like, wouldn't we settle for a president who would, do just, who would just do the right thing for just four years? A congressman or congresswoman or senator who would, who, who would do just the right thing for just one term? Because the primaries are coming up this week. And a lot of people are excited and hoping for a candidate who will deliver on all of their promises. I mean, is, it too, is that too much to expect from our human leaders? Or, or what about this? What if the government like, got out of, out of the way enough uh, and was really just about uh, ensuring the, the maximum freedom for, for each individual just to follow their own values as long, you know, as, long as that indi individual does not interfere with anyone else who's, who's doing the same? Because then, then, then uh, we'd basically get to run our own lives. Because we want to run our own lives. Here's the irony. Uh, you're not fit for the job either. You're not fit to run your own life. Uh, and you know this deep down because, I say this with all love, but you know this deep down because look at your life. I mean, you run yourself ragged trying to run your own life. And you, me, we, we don't live up to, even our own values, we don't live up to them. And the world we live in, no government on this earth would, is going to come along with you, you know, with you running your own life, that is going to be able to prevent all evil done to you. That's going to be able to prevent the suffering that is going to come, the suffering that does come in life. Ongoing loneliness, physical illness, financial woes, bodily assault, emotional abuse, broken relationships, loss after loss after loss. Like even, even in those seasons where you're just killing it and you've done your best, you know you're hanging on by a thread. And this is so cheesy, but my beloved professor said it like this once, it's time to vote for another administration for your own heart. <laughs> for your life because you are not fit to lead it. But God is. I think I just went out when I said it. God is though. His son is. He has, I mean, the, the son is, the son has earned the right to rule your life. Which sounds like, that sounds weird saying it, but like, well, wait, if he's God, like, hasn't he always had that right? He had to earn it. Okay, think of it. God is a just ruler. He's, he is just uh, king, and what you and I deserve for trying to be our own ruler and run our own lives, we deserve justice, which means we deserve the curse for our sin. We deserve the wrath of God. But the Son of God comes, 
and he lives this perfect life. And then he dies this cursed death. God's own curse for sin falls on his son at his death. And as that curse falls on Jesus, he hangs on the cross of a pagan nation. Uh, Both Jews and Gentiles crucify him there, and he's wearing a crown not of gold, but of thorns, the very symbol of the curse after the fall. And hanging over Jesus is this sign that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And he takes it all. He takes the curse and he pays for it. And he didn't do it for nothing. He did it for you. The good news is that you are his reward. He has purchased you to be your king. He has purchased you with his own blood. A few years ago, I was... I was out to dinner with some friends and, and Ryan, my wife, and uh, Ryan turns to me and she says, look who's at the bar. And it's Vince Young, who just like, it's a big deal to us. It's not to like 99.9% of the people here. But he was, he was the quarterback of our college football team when we won the national championship in 2005. And I walked right up to him. It's this crowded bar. I walk right up to him. And I just give him a hug. <clears throat> And he knew. And I looked at him and I said, I was there the night we won. And I said, we, and he didn't flinch. Like he, like, he smiled ear to ear. And I, I said, I was, tw- I was 20 rows up on the goal line. Uh, my dad, my brother, my brother-in-law, I was up there, the end zone that you scored the winning touchdown. I cheered you on the whole way. And he looked at me and he said, all for you. And I melted into his arms. And I just gave him this huge hug. I had my champion in my arms, and he had me in his. He didn't say, hey, all for that trophy, all for that ring, which he could have, and he got that stuff too. He said he did it for me, and he did it for Ryan, and he meant it. Okay, I'd the father promises the son a reward in their covenant if the son completes his mission. Loved ones, you are the reward. And when you are down, this is what you have to remember, and this is what you have to think of yourself. Yes, you are a sinner. We do not deny that. And when you have had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, when you feel alone and you don't like yourself and you think no one else likes you and no one else should like you, you remember this about yourself, and you remember this about the person who's sitting next to you who is here, your Christian uh, brothers and sisters around the world. You are the treasure that God the Father rewards the Son for his work. Like You are the jewel that God always wanted to give his Son. You are the reward that Jesus thought was great enough to give up the glory of heaven to come and live as one of us and to die a cursed death, exhausting the wrath of God for your sins. You were worth it to him because he got you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gospel, which is just, it's more awesome, it is more amazing than we'll really ever truly know. 
And we thank you that we will get to offer you tribute and love and praise for all of eternity, glorying in this with you. Father, we thank you for doing what we cannot do. We thank you for doing it for those, for us who do not deserve it, all of grace. We praise your son, our king. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.